This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland, and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as busy weeks go, it's been up there with the busiest, of course. The lads on Monday reflecting on a famous victory at Anfield, but then that was followed on Tuesday, of course, by a major step forward in Everton's dream of a new stadium. We will, of course, talk about Liverpool City Council's planning committee's decision to approve plans for Bramley Mordock, and we'll discuss what's next. Of course, Luca Dean, the new contract, Carlo Ancelotti press conference, and again, Monday night, home to Southampton to preview. But it's a stadium we will start with. Um, Prenel, did you have any concerns that we wouldn't get the outcome and results that we that we did from uh, from the planning committee? No, I didn't have concerns because let's face it, this decision should have been a formality, given the incredible economic benefit it's going to bring to the city, given the, the amount of unemployment, uh, the amount of employment it's going to bring, uh, what it's going to do to transform what is a, a pretty dilapidated and rundown area of town. Before you even start to mention what it's going to do for Everson Football Club. So it should have been a formality, but you always have that little nagging doubt in the back of your mind sometimes because we've been down this path before. Admittedly, nowhere near as far down it as we are at the moment, but you know, we have been down and disappointed before. So there's always just that little nagging doubt in the back of your mind. But you have to give absolutely enormous kudos to Everson Football Club for the way in which they've managed it this time, uh, for the amount of preparatory work they've put in place, the consultation processes, the incredible amount of detail uh, that's gone into you know this, this process. I personally think they've basically given the council you know an open goal. It's like, look, you can't possibly not approve this because of they've covered every single element that you could imagine. Even I mean, I was actually scratching my head in disbelief when I heard that statement about we're going to take all the fish out of the dock, and they start talking about alternative bat roosts as well. Like literally everything has been thought of, has been investigated, and has been answered, so that any concerns that the uh, council might have had had already been answered prior to the meeting. So yeah, it, it pretty much was a formality. But until those eleven councillors say approved, 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 approved. You're never quite certain. So yeah, it still was a great moment to hear that the uh, the City Council shared the enthusiasm and the excitement about the project that we've all been, you know, sort of sharing for a long time. So, so is, it, is it, you know, try to sort of take a gauge of, of, of Evertonians that you've spoken to and, and, and obviously being one yourself, it, it's a very exciting step. Obviously, we're not there yet, but it, it feels as though, you know, we are moving much closer than, than we've ever been before. Yeah, we are now, aren't we? Which is which is good. I think that um, it, pe- people are always going to kind of be worried because of the, the size of the project and uh, be- because we've been burnt before. We, we were speaking off the other day, weren't we, Preno? And there's all those... It's, it's been a 50-year search almost, hasn't it, in, <laughs> in some cases for, for a new site. And I think that, uh, you know... I don't think anyone really wanted the, the move to Kirby because it was kind of going outside of of the city, wasn't it? But, you know, there, there was that clear need and, and what Farhad Mashiri has always knew since day one that, you know, we do need something other than Goodison because it wasn't feasible to, to renovate it to, you know, the standard that we'd obviously need to get to. So now that planning permission has been kind of accepted and, and now we're rolling towards, you know, the even more exciting part of, of it being accepted by the government, which, you know, it, it seems like it should do. And, and then that's when the, the real stuff 
start, isn't it? And I was just thinking the other day, how, how exciting is it going to be when, when you do drive down the, the dock road and you can see it kind of coming up and over the next few years, it's going to be great, isn't it, for, for all the stuff that you will just be able to notice driving past uh, as a, you know, you'll be able to see a full football stadium come to life before our very eyes. It's it's going to be, it's going to be mad, isn't it? So looking forward to that and, and yeah, it does feel very real now and I think that all those kind of frustrations and worries and stuff that people have had, I think, was all put to bed nicely in, in that council meeting, which with some nice words as well, wasn't it? There was Liverpool fans and everything throwing the uh, throwing the hat into the ring for for everyone to build a new stadium, which at the end there I think is the most important thing. That it, it's important for everyone, but if you're from Liverpool, whether you support us or Liverpool, Tramia, a local team, this is good news for you. You know, it's pumping jobs and money back into the economy, so. It's win, 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 win situation for <laughs> everyone, in, every single person uh, involved in the city, which I think it, at the bottom line is the best news for everyone. Gav, um, look, as we said, we're not there yet. Central government have, have got you know at least twenty-one days to have a look at it, yeah. and we hope and we hope that it won't be called in. That's not what we we believe at this stage, and believe that the central government will 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 sign it off, and and Everton will be on on site, um, sort of maybe by May time or what have you, but did you think we would ever get to this point? Uh, yeah. Um, I think Cosmo Sherry as much as anything else. Because that was obviously one of his nearly days, one of his, well, maybe his sole aim objective, but certainly his main one. Um, and with the clout and money and contacts, he brings to the table that I think it was always going to be a you know, given that you know, that we would once we started it, it would it would reach its natural conclusion. I mean, in many respects, Far had has staked his entire reputation on this, hasn't he? Mm. You know, if they failed at some point, like previous projects well have failed, haven't he? Then he's left with enormous egg on his face and enormous bill, hasn't he, really? So He's had to make it happen. And I can only, picking up on Preno's point, I can only, and, and, and it, and it sort, sort of fits in with the answer you want, Phil, is the club have done enormous amounts of work, and I can only reference the, the presentation of Preno, and I am too, about well, 18 months ago now, isn't it, Dave? Yeah. As part of the Everton Headers Society, but it was quite clear that the club, the club had thought of everything then, and you were looking at it then, and says, this is going to happen. This is not like a half-big scheme that's aspirational. Every every nook and cranny of this has been looked into and so Gaff, looked even further. So, Gaff, for you in that moment as an Evertonian, when when you were sat there in that meeting, you know the presentation to the you know of heritage and things, and you had that realization, this is going to happen. How did it make you feel? Uh, relieved. All right. I think, to be honest with you. I don't think we could go go through in the, in the context of Farhad's vision. You know, we'll talk about Farhad's later. Is is the you know in, in what he what we wanted him to bring? You know, uh, yeah, this is this is going to happen. And if it, it stopped, it won't through, be through Evans. Um, you know, uh, wish for it to be stopped. It's going to be somebody else. Um, so yeah, relief, and also. Absolute amazement at the amount of work that have been done. 
I mean, it was quite clear then how seriously the, the, the club took the project when he's... I mean, it, I know the planning document's 200 now pages, I can't remember how it is, like, but when you think... We went, they went through what they did in, around the dock and all the stuff they had to look at, you know, individual pieces of dock equipment had to be looked at, you know, mm-hmm. from a heritage perspective. Um, you know, the, the detail was just unbelievable. So you, you, you thought then, that, you know, that this is serious, serious stuff here. And, and you know, and people have said, criticised the club before, maybe not using the right expertise and stuff like that, and not thinking things. So it's quite clear that, you know, that this was, you know, the real deal. So, but relief. I mean, I, I remember you saying, Phil, about four years ago, some five years ago, when it fit muted about why. I, I wanted to say, Goodison, and saying, like, well, why would you want to move now? And I said, it's when you see the big stand being built at Anfield mm. and what that symbolised. Yeah. And I think, you know, that dominates the skyline when you get within a couple of miles of, of L4. And this will dominate the skyline when you get within a couple of miles of Bromley Moor Dock, won't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Probably even more because of the lack of buildings involved. Absolutely. So, yeah, so uh, hugely symbolic, but, but relief. But Prenda, just just to sort of um, back up Gav's point about the, the extent of the work that's taken place already, as per the last accounts, which ran until the end of June, so what eight nine months ago, the club had spent forty million quid there or thereabouts on just getting to that point. Which underlines, you know, sort of how serious they've been about this entire process, because you know we, it's difficult not to think of um, you know some of the stadium projects in the past and they seem like very very you know sort of small scale ideas you know so as gav mentioned earlier aspirational as opposed to this which feels real i mean the king's dock project it didn't get as far as you know submitting planning applications to the council but it got as far as uh not even designs but glossy images being produced and you know this is what it could look like but you know an architect wasn't appointed like you know dan mice to actually get into the infrastructure of the entire thing and produce something as detailed as this so th- this has been very real from the word go and i think that again speaks volumes for the people involved i mean farhad mashiri you know we'll come on to him later but he has had you know um mixed reputation in terms of some of the decisions he's taken you know since his arrival at the football club but there's absolutely no doubt in my mind this isn't happening without farhad mashiri um you know so his wealth and his ambition to do this is what has made this happen uh, the fact that he's going to be putting in 100 million quid of his own money anyway you know so to actually help fund the thing is obviously a game changer and so you know since his arrival i think this stadium project has become very real and every step along the way has been so impressive and so reassuring throughout in the past it was always a good idea that we weren't quite sure was going to happen this one, I've never felt anything less than confidence. And I know, obviously, the government now has to look at the thing. And there's a possibility it could be called in for further scrutiny. Even if it is, I think that's only going to delay the issue by a couple of months rather than actually be, you know, something that's going to knock it on the head. Because it's so good for the city, for the area, for the football club, you know, for employment, for, for economy. Uh, it's just, it's a no-brainer, basically. Uh, but it wouldn't be happening, you know, so unless Farhad Mashiri walked through the door five years ago. So, yeah... It's all very, very exciting. And, you know, to be coming in the week that it came, just, you know, a couple of days after such a, 
you know, landmark victory at Anfield. People always, you know, joke about Everton, you know, sort of putting out, you know, sort of news and stadium items in the wake of bad news, which is nonsense. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, but, you know, it's almost like, you know, so this was, it was fate. You know, so this, this meeting took place a couple of days after this first victory at Anfield in 20-odd years. And, you know, the week that Lucas Dean signs a new long-term contract, all the stars seem to align in the same week. So it's been great. And, <laughs> Just got to try and hope that momentum continues now into Monday night. And of course, there wasn't a game in the media aftermath <laughs> of, of those three things for us to go and ruin it either. So, uh, <laughs> what, what a week, Saturday to Saturday. What a seven days. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Sam, I mean, it, it's a big question, and I'm not, you know, we could talk forever and a day about the answer, but generally for you, um, what would you know, hopefully in maybe three and a half years, give or take, if everything goes to plan, what would a new stadium do for the football club, do you think? Win us, win us the Premier League and Champions League. Probably be a, a nice yeah. starting place, wouldn't it? Do you think, all right then, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a different question. Do you think a new stadium, how, how much does a new stadium attract players? It's always something that comes up in conversation. How much yeah. does how much is of a pull is a new stadium, state of the art facility, etc. I think it's now just become an all part of the package, isn't it? That from the moment we've appointed Carlo Ancelotti, we've obviously got to accept that you know, without disrespecting anyone, you know, would Marco Silva or even you know Duncan Ferguson, let's say, in, in an alternate universe, being able to sign Allen and James Rodriguez, they, they probably wouldn't, would they? So then, you know, that there's one part of the package. Obviously, then Farhad Mashidi and, and the money he can offer and and the wages and the transfer fees we can afford to pay is another part of the package. European football is, is then something else that we're chasing. But, you know, having a brand new boss stadium that obviously then, you know, brings in more money for us to ultimately spend and pump back into the football club is, is just going to be the icing on the cake to that. So I think that is probably, that's up there as a thing. But I definitely think having Carlo Ancelotti as the manager and, being in Europe would, would be the first too, but you know the stadium is just something. It's just something completely new that we've never had before, isn't it? Just for people to, you know, the the stadium tours, and you know we have such a, a a passionate fan base, don't we? In like America and Australia, all over the world, really. You know how much are those people then going to be? You know, who might have been to Goodison a few times, who might never have been to Goodison, might want to say, you know, I want to go and see that new stadium. So there's all all this stuff that we're going to have to have to tie into it. So it's just a huge, huge benefit, isn't it? But I really do hope that by the time we get there, you know, we are seriously knocking on the door of the Champions League, if, if not already there, to, to bring that football to to the new stadium. Because I think that's what, from all the designs we've seen so far, I think that's definitely what, what it's going to deserve. It deserves a team playing at the top of the Premier League. And, it's just so exciting, isn't it? I think now you can you can properly visualise it. You can you can properly imagine walking through town and and going to the stadium, and it's just going to be great. So, yeah, I think any player who had any lingering doubts over signing for Everton, you know, if if you can take them on a tour of that stadium, we might not have any more Olivier Giroud situations in the uh, <laughs> in the future. 
I, th- I think as well as the players, I think it can have a, a really emboldening effect on the supporters as well. I was thinking about this last night when I was, I don't know if you've seen that new Pele uh, Netflix uh, documentary, yes. I only watched the first half an hour of it and it's very, very good. But it, talk, it goes back to his childhood and it talks about uh, when Brazil uh, were beaten in the 1950 World Cup final. I'll stick with me here because it does have Everton relevance, this. Um, they, they, you know, they, the 1950 World Cup was held in Brazil and they were you know, built, new stadiums were built and it was basically the Brazilian birthright, you're going to win the World Cup this year, you're, you're going to do it. And they scored first against Uruguay in the final. Everyone thought, right, this is, it, this is, this is our moment. Then they got beat and it became like a moment of national shame. The players were vilified and a journalist came out with this great phrase, Brazil have got a mongrel complex and it basically, you're not as good as you think. You're not as good as you should be, and you believe it. Um, you know, so you're beginning to believe that you're the underdogs and you're the uh, the men taking you know so sort of knives to a gunfighter, uh, this kind of thing. And I think in recent years, Everson, from having been one of the absolute leading lights in English football, the leading light, you know, so just prior to the Premier League era, have begun to accept that kind of like second best status uh, a mongrel complex if you like amongst the evertonians i mean the phrase everton that has become accepted now in regular you know parlance if something's gone wrong now it's everton that and it shouldn't be and i think that you know carlo's arrival helps change that so does far had machineries and this new stadium you know so this beautiful spanking new stadium that's going to fill the supporters with so much pride can also help do away with that and so hopefully you know we will see a different mindset among supporters now uh, going forward, and we will now actually believe that Everton is as big a football club as it ought to be. Gav, Carlo, this uh, well, th- yesterday, in fact, is saying that um, he hopes that he's still in charge for when the stadium opens, which which would, of course, mean a new contract because his current contract would run out just before it was due to open. Um, that, if Carlo Ancelotti is still at the football club when the new stadium opens in time for the start of the 2024 season, um, that that's a, that means things have gone very well, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely, for both parties. Um, yeah, yeah. There's an interest. I mean, I think sometimes people throw out Ben sound bites just to, you know, add a little bit of flavour, you know. But I think, I think Carlo says it. Given his age and experience, you 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 tend to say that there's probably a belief there and a, and a want and. Maybe it goes back to the original, you know, sort of theory around disappointment that, um, you know, that you saw this as a little bit of a project, you know, proving people wrong, you know, that I'm not just a manager who manages big clubs with lots of money, I can do it a different way. So, yeah, uh, that was an interesting conversation. I'm sure, going back to Sam's point there, that if Carlo is around in 2024, you know, as a manager, hopefully he'll still be around full stop, uh, then you <laughs> would expect us to be certainly a regular European competitor and knocking on the door of the of the Champions League. So I think... Um, and there's also an incessant point there as well is you probably want some continuity and stability on the pitch, don't we, between now and 2024 and progress. What we don't want to be doing is moving into a new stadium and we're 18th in the Premier League. Mm. So we always said, didn't we, when the stadium was announced, that it's important to get it right on the pitch as well. That the stadium is not a panacea for everything, is it? It's it's a, it's it, it's it's one of a number of things that we need to do. I'm on to get it right on the pitch, and I think it'd be falling a bit flat if we've got 
you know, if we're in the bottom, even the bottom half of the Premier League, where somebody else is a manager, he's just, you know, maybe not what supporters like, and we're moving to a new stadium. You know, so, uh, yeah, it's important we get, get it right on the pitch. If Carlo's here, as you say, quite rightly, then, you know, even if the doubts about his original appointment, then that'd be good news. Absolutely. Like, 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 it's absolutely the two things go hand in hand for me. Um, I'm not sure how many of the people listening, um, I'm sure many have, um, saw what Preno tweeted uh, earlier this week. He tweeted out a link to a YouTube video. Uh, <laughs> somebody has created a sort of spine-tingling, eye-watering montage of Goodison through the years. And I, te- and I text Dave and I said, why has this been produced now? Because grown men will be sobbing for the next three and a half years. Preno, I mean, it's it's quite a piece of, of footage, isn't it? This, this, I don't know who's put it together, but it's out there. It's on your Twitter feed if people do want to watch it. Yeah, it's, it's a guy called uh, Chico Azul, I think his, uh, his, his name is. And um, he does lots of Everton nostalgia stuff on YouTube. And um, I, I just stumbled across it. And it's funny, actually, my wife, you know, so Melanie found it initially. And, uh, you know, came in in absolute bits. And I just thought, oh, what, what's she on? She's, you know, basically overreacting. <laughs> thought no more of it until I saw it myself the next morning and just thought, oh, my God, it was a bit too much for me that time in the morning. I mean, it's just like images of Goodison Park, you know, f- going back down the years and lots and lots of, you know, sort of fan images right up to the present day against the backdrop of Robbie Williams's She's the One. Now, you know, any... Uh, problems people have with us is possibly the choice of music rather than the actual images. I've got no problem with that. It fits perfectly with the uh, the narrative. And it's just, it's very, very moving and uh, very poignant. And it does make you realise that, oh, wow, we've only got a specified number of games left at Goodison Park and we're being deprived, you know, so plenty of them at the moment anyway. I think somebody calculated, was it 60-odd or, you know, 70-odd maybe, potential Premier League games between now and a brand new Mordock Stadium opening that we've got to enjoy. And it makes it, again, that bit more real. They're like, wow, one day we are going to have to say goodbye to this place. And it means so much to so many of us because, you know, we've grown up there. We've spent our lives there. You know, I've done so many things in my life with that football ground. You know, best man at a wedding, uh, parties, as well as just the football kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it brings it all home to you. But, yeah, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, I urge you, just go and have a look. Um, it's It's on YouTube, you know. I, don't, I can't remember what it's called even, but you'll find it enough. Uh, and it is, it's, it's, it's a very, very poignant you know, bit, of, uh, bit of footage that does underline what Goodison Park means to all of us and what an absolutely excruciating you know, final day that's going to be. If you can get tickets to even get in on that last day, because it's going to be very, very much in demand. Yeah, th- that that video comes with a health warning because you will be emotional. <laughs> trust me. I, 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 I did contemplate trying to restore some of the equilibrium on the fan base by creating a big Sam best moments at Everton, <laughs> just just for ang- just for anger and stuff, and just to sort of balance things out. But uh, my God, I don't know, I don't know if either of you two, Sam, have you seen? Have you watched it? Yeah, I had a little watch after the after Preno tweeted. It's just one of them, isn't it? I think that you know all, all those kind of. 
I think the other thing is just those those human moments of you know everyone. A, a lot of people kind of go the match with someone, don't they? You know, you go the match with your mum or your dad or your mates and your brothers and sisters, whatever it is, who you go with, and you share those kind of moments, don't you? I think. Uh, I think I've I've only seen my dad crying three times in my whole life. I think, and one was when Ferguson retired um, against West Brom on the last day of the season. One time was when uh, Unzi was the manager in the Watford game, and he walked over to the Gladys Street at the end, and everyone was like "Rano, Rano," and that was a and that was a boss moment as well. And uh, there was another time when uh, Matthew Pennington, who, who's my mate, made his made his debut against Bournemouth, and. It was either that or Tony Hibbert retiring. One of them. One of them stepping <laughs> off on, on that game. Um, I, and you, you do just kind of share all those moments, don't you? Which you know you hope you'll have new ones at the uh, at the new stadium as well, which I'm sure we will. But it's just mad to think that it, it'll be a, a kind of a grieving process almost, won't it? You know, there's going to be a day when you walk out of there for the for the final time, kind of thing. And I think certainly for me now as well, you know. I, my mum and dad and, and me have had our season tickets for 20 years now, I think. But I know certainly, you know, because we work most weekends and stuff. And, and now that I don't get to go to all the games, that I'm, I, I might not go to Goodison another 10 times in my whole life, which is a scary kind of thought. So definitely the next few times I go, we'll be uh, making sure to enjoy as much as I can and, and pocket and rob anything I can as well. <laughs> so, yeah, <man>. so, <laughs> right, see, I, even Gavin can't be a Grinch about Goodison. Come on, Gav. What have you watched? That, <laughs> I, I was gonna say I was gonna say, Phil, when you said uh, you know, spoiler by sending the big Sam video. You're yeah. talking Sam Allardyce or Sam Carroll there, just to uh, just to clarify. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm not a Grinch. I'm not a Grinch. Yeah, I can only reflect what's said. I've seen the video, thought it was wonderful and um it just reminds you that, you know, football is an enormous part of people's lives. We wouldn't be talking now if we, you know, if it wasn't. And uh, just, it just reinforces that. And being one of the, you know, it, it's quite funny that. I mean, having aged that, the first time I went to Goodison, it was the first time I'd seen a game of football in colour. Yeah. <laughs> that, that long ago, you know, because we have black and white telly. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 I'm sure all sorts of, you know, memories flood back. Being interesting to see if there's a few. I know this happened on the final day. The couple of few people who normally go in the press box will be trying to get tickets to sit down in the uh, sit, sit down in the stands. But I know rather than know, say in the know. press it's, box, it's strange because I've been in every single stand at Goodison Park now. Yeah. I mean, when, when Greg got us banned for the uh, David Moyes' last game against West Ham, <laughs> uh, I, actually, I actually completed me set by uh, watching the uh, game from the Bullens Road, uh, to, to which I'd not been in previously. But for me. I mean, my formative match-going experience was on the Gladys Street, when the Gladys Street had a shelf, you know, sort of when you were, like, on the top bit. And so, yeah. sitting on the Gladys Street now wouldn't quite have that same kind no, of no. You know, emotive appeal. So, I'd just, I'd just be glad to get into the stadium anywhere, to be honest. And probably, I've probably watched more games now from the press box than I have it anywhere else, you know, sort of in the stadium. So, that yeah. probably would be yeah, the best place to watch it from. But, you know, it's, it's just a, such an atmospheric, you know, sort of arena, wherever you're watching it from. Every element, every part of that ground has got some kind of history, you know, attached to it. Just a, a wonderful place. Yeah, I mean, without without adding a bit, I mean, and the head of society when he gave that presentation, we're conscious of that, weren't they? Of taking some of that heritage, not you know, not having like a year zero, 
as Bramie Moore is also, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. reflecting some of the heritage of Goodison there, you know. So that interesting to see how the club, yes, you know, reflects that because you can't just forget about your past, can you? You've got it. You've got to, You've got to remember some of the. Uh, you know, if you know your history type stuff, you've got. You've got to reflect some of that in 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 Bramley Moor as well. So I don't think it'll, it'll be gone and forgotten. Goodison, and when we go to Bramley Moor, there'll still be bits that remind us, which will probably send us off all all over again into tears. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, well, the Goodison Park Legacy Project, you know, so is ensuring that yeah. there's going to be, you know, plenty of reminders in Walton of, of what was there previously, uh, you know, including you know, an area where, you know, the pitch, you know, so currently is. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, an awful lot of people's, you know, sort of ashes and remains are around uh, on that pitch, including the greatest centre forward the club's ever had. You know, so, yeah, that is going to have to remain in that area yeah. as, uh, you know, so a lasting legacy. And the club have also handled that very, very well and very, very clearly. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, obviously the, the team are back at Goodison on Monday night, Sam. Um, it hasn't been necessarily the happiest of hunting grounds in recent weeks and months. What's going to change on Monday against Southampton um, for us to get back on track at home? Because it feels that if if we're going to maintain this hope of maybe finishing the top four, the home form's got to be corrected, hasn't it? Yeah, I think if we, I think even if we don't beat Southampton, I think it's going to make a lot of people snap. I just don't think anyone can deal with, you know, these great away wins we keep pulling off and then coming back to Goodison and, and just not doing the business. And I think they've got Romeo out and Minamino out. I think Walcott was injured anyway, but obviously couldn't play against us. So they're missing a fair few players. And to be honest, I just don't think they're very good anyway. I think we we made a bit of a bit of a show of ourselves when we played them early in the season, but they were in decent form as well, weren't they? So I think there's a little bit of revenge. But um, I've said it a few times. We just I think Carlos stumbled upon like the the perfect tactic almost to play against to play in the games where we can kind of concede possession and and say to teams, you know, try and break us down. We're confident to getting you know a couple of goals on on the break from a set piece, whatever that is. But can he find the kind the recipe to just kind of let go of the handbrake and, and, and lift us up a few gears? And I think that's what we're looking to find now, isn't it? It's, you know, can Gilfie and Rodriguez play in the same team? You know, can, can a Wobie unlock defences in, in tight matches? You know, can Richarlison kind of keep up this vein of form and, and start getting us those goals when, when we need them? Sometimes that he's done in the past, I think. These are all questions that, that need to be answered quickly because I think now we've reached the stage where we can't really afford to lose another home game that we're expected to win mm. until the end of the season. And even draws are going to set us back a bit. You know, we've put ourselves in this position now where we can go ahead of Liverpool. You know, we've got fixtures coming up that, like Southampton, we need to win that because then we're going to go and play, you know, a, a Chelsea-type fixture, you know. So... We, we can't afford to drop any more points. We really, really need to win that one. And I'd like to see us just go and beat someone, you know, three or four nil and, and just show, you know, we've got better players than them. We are a better team than them. There just seems to be a little bit of a, I don't know, the last few games at home, it's almost felt like after 10 minutes, you know, and certainly watching it online while having the, the laptop open and seeing, you know, it just seems to be everyone saying, we've lost this. We, we just don't seemingly come out the blocks in the same way that we have done in, you know, those games against Liverpool and Leeds away, Wolves away, you know, where we seemingly went out and you were like, 
we look up for this. We're playing well. So, yeah, I'm not really too sure. Uh, it's weird now. I think you're getting more nervous for these home games against the likes of Newcastle and Southampton than you are for United away because you almost just have faith that they're going to put a performance in. But my biggest worry is that, you know, eventually these teams, you're not going to win every single game that you play away from home. You're not going to win every single game at Chelsea and Tottenham and, and, and things like that. So, you know, we really need to start putting points on the board, you know, bread and butter at home at Goodison against teams below us at the table. And, you know, if we can find that perfect remedy to play the way we are against, you know, the teams above us, against the teams below us at Goodison, then there's absolutely no reason why we can't finish fourth because the table is just that tight. And, and I think everyone is going to keep dropping points to the end of the season. So if there's any if there's any result that's going to motivate you to, to finish the last, what is it now, 13 games on fire, then it's got to be Liverpool at Anfield, isn't it? So fingers crossed that momentum goes into Monday because... I just don't think my soul can take another home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, Southampton away in October, notable for one reason. The only time Ben Godfrey hasn't played brilliantly. He was terrible. <laughs> he, was terrible he was terrible that day. But uh, excellent otherwise. Gav, I'll read you this list then. Home Premier League games left this season. Southampton, yeah. Burnley, Palace, Spurs, Villa, Sheffield United and Wolves. Every one of those teams, I think, if I'm not mistaken, below below where we are in the table, and, and the majority in, this, in the in the bottom half. That, that that's a concern, though, isn't it? It shouldn't be. That should be. It shouldn't be. Should no, be a, that should be a a script for giving a hell of a go to being right in the mix of the top four until the final day of the season. But the way things are going, that's a headache, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be making too many predictions at this stage about. Um, runs of games, how many points you expect to do get? Because I mean, you do that in a regular season. It does, you know, in the good old days, and you you always ended up getting less points from, <laughs> you know, than what you thought if it was a good run and more points than what you thought if it was a bad run of fixtures. You know, uh, I, 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 I want to use that one day at a time cliche, please. <laughs> you know what? Um, yeah, I mean the next. I, I, I think if you nodded that down the next two, is it West Brom away? Yeah, West Brom away and then Chelsea right. away as well, yeah. Yeah, so if you look, if you take Chelsea out of the equation. We've got Southampton and West Brom away. We need we need six points there, don't we? Yeah. You know, that end of you know, if we're gonna talk in top four, we have to get we have to get six points there because otherwise, um you know, yeah, you know, you got Chelsea away then and all of a sudden, it's, it might be a tough game. Um, I think so. Six, I think six points in the next two games, and we'll be, if we do that on the back of the derby win, I mean that would probably be enough to be us getting around the top four, won't it? I think you would think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and then just take it from there. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? This, I mean, we're two thirds of the way through the season, aren't we? You know, yeah, because of the number of games we've had since Christmas and and before Christmas or twice a week. All of a sudden, we're reaching the end of the season. We're, we're at the running, and we're yeah. still in. We're still in with the shout, which which is good. And there's a little bit of a gap now between the sort of group at the top and mid table. Um, so that that's good. Um, but we'll have six points next two games. And, and you know what? I'm really looking forward to seeing on Saturday, on on Monday. And it's it, it's sort of the opposite to what Sam was saying is. We spoke last week about the good thing about the short-term nature 
and kicking on from winning at Anfield. And now it affects morale and, and belief. And I'm looking to see whether we get a reaction on Monday to that. I mean, mm-hmm. dare I say, imagine if we'd have won at Anfield, if there'd been a crowd. Imagine what it'd be like at Goodison oh. for the Southampton game. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be frightening, wouldn't it? Um, I think the exciting thing this weekend is that there's a few games where, you know, Villa are away at Leeds, you know, Liverpool away at Sheffield United, which I still think is a tricky game. Chelsea and United play each other. Uh, Leicester and Arsenal play each other. So it's almost got that thing of we could have an even clearer idea. You know, if a couple of teams drop points there, you know, as Gav's saying. And he also made the good point that I think now, you know, first, second, third... Obviously, City are 10 points ahead. I think United and Leicester on 49 then. You know, so there's a little bit of a gap starting to, to be there. After 25 games, we, we would have easily took being in this position, wouldn't we? But I think this weekend will, and obviously Monday, will, will say a lot on you know who who can do what. And I think it's just mad that there's been 25 games played, isn't it? Someone said that to me the other day, and I thought we yeah. were still like 10 games in. It's weird. That <laughs> there's only 13 matches to go, and... Yeah, I do definitely think that six points from your next two games, and it's then when the psychological aspect starts, isn't it? You know, if we do get what a little three-point lead over Liverpool, or you know, you go level on points with Chelsea, and then all of a sudden they're looking over the shoulder, maybe they're drawing the game in the last few minutes, and they go for it, and all this stuff can just start getting can just start coming into it. So the win over Liverpool has just just given our season such a shot in the arm, which I just totally didn't expect that. I think this is going to be the most exciting end to the season since, what, the Martinez first season when we were kind of, we looked all set and dry in the Champions League, didn't we? And then Antal and Alcaraz just played up front for Southampton for the day, didn't he? And <laughs> never looked the same again. <laughs> um, Preno, just going back to Monday night then, um, what, what's got to change or maybe who's got to change uh, for us to get back? Back on the horse, so to speak, at Goodison. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about this one because Southampton are one of those teams that we just, you know, have struggled against consistently uh, in recent games. And sometimes you have teams like that, teams that you always perform well against, you always don't do well against, and they seem to be the latter. But yeah, I mean, what the guys were saying in terms of you know morale and confidence and energy uh, as a result of what happened on Monday, confidence should be absolutely sky high. Um, and they've also had a long break. You know, it's a very, very long time to prepare for this game. So they should be absolutely, you know, so blob on for it. Um, it's just, I, w- I was listening to Carlo's press conference yesterday and I wasn't quite sure if he was being entirely 100% honest with us when he was asked about say, why the home form was so different to the away form. And his answer was that he believed that the players or the defensive players away from home concentrate that bit harder when they're away, when they're at home. There's almost like a little bit of complacency comes into it. And that can't be the truth, surely. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the lack of supporters in there is a contributory factor. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. Because it's not just Everton having a magnificent away record this season. Leicester, you know, United, a couple of other teams are also having, you know, so spectacular uh, success away from home. So the absence of fans certainly makes a difference. But I just think, A, the players who are missing uh, for, top, uh, for Southampton will contribute. Danny Ings is fit, isn't he? Which is always a blow because he always manages to score against yeah. us. But generally, you know, the players they've got missing, the one that they're on, the confidence that we've got, this is an opportunity, provided we start the game well, to get those three points. And yeah, as, as the guys say, if we win on Monday, if we win on Thursday, suddenly the season is transformed. You know, so those four home defeats, which have been like a, you know, the 
hammer blow to us seem to be forgotten and everyone's really you know so vibrant and looking forward to the running then and the possibility of not just qualifying for Europe, maybe getting into the top four. So they are massive games, these. And, you know, as long as the players appreciate that importance, as long as they start the game as fast and as uh, vibrant as they did at Anfield, you know, it, it's a game that we should be winning. And that then sets everybody up. So, yeah, it's important. I don't want to overstate the case, you know, because, and again, in his press conference, Carl said that those four games we lost, if we'd have concentrated more defensively and defended better, we'd have drawn them. And he goes, those four points can make a massive difference between now and the end of the season. So, you know, say we draw it again on Monday, it doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world, but it does deflate that little bit of momentum, that bit of optimism. If we can win, wow, yeah, you know, so people are looking forward to the Thursday game and it can't come quickly enough then, win that one. And, you know, suddenly everyone's absolutely flying again. Mm. I just wonder with the uh, injuries, minus Mina, of course, clearing up, I just wonder whether we'll see a, an eleven that, that was a little bit closer to the eleven we saw in the first few weeks of the season when we were, we were scoring goals for fun. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Moving on to the final part of today's pod, and forgive me, didn't preview it at the start of the podcast. Saturday, remarkably is five years of Farhad Mashiri at Everton. It was 27th of February 2016 when his 49.9% stake in the club was confirmed. And it's been an eventful five years ever since, Gav. Um, as you said before we started recording, we could talk about this subject for hours yeah. and hours. But when you, when you reflect on the five years, how would you rate Farhad's reign? Um, a few observations. He's put his money where his mouth is, isn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, talk about staging funding. I think it's as if 450, 500 million now he's pumped in, which is uh, a lot of money, even if you're a man of Farhad's immense wealth. It's a lot of money. That's the first thing I'd say. Uh, the second thing I'd say is if you wanted me to honestly appraise it over the five years, mixed. I think there's been bad managerial appointments for the start. Uh, I think the um, the organisation off the pitch in terms of who we've had, you know, we're talking about director of football, who's who's been buying what, you know, what our transfer strategy is or isn't, or, you know, um, all that type of stuff. I'd say that that's that's been mixed. Um, we've made a lot of mistakes that's reflected in our finances where we've, let's face it, put some horrendous figures at me over the last couple of years. So I'd say it's not, it's not been plain sailing. However, um, within that, I do think there's some lessons learned and about science of lessons being learned uh, both on and off the pitch. I think the, the structure of um the football, football and part of the organisation is far better in terms of roles and responsibilities and being clearly defined in relationships. I think that's far better now. I think the, there's a far better transfer strategy which has been reflected over the last six to 12 months. So you've mentioned a couple, you've mentioned by Godfrey there, but there's other, you know, Brantwaite, you know, uh, players you brought during the summer, um, albeit ageing, maybe ageing in relatively to relative terms, but come in and all done a job. Um at the stadium as well, we've spoken about. Um, I still think we need to do a little bit more work around the boardroom, not in terms of criticising people in the boardroom, but I just think that we're a really busy club. 
we've got lots of things going. We need to grow. Um, how have we got the, the right number of resources in that area uh, to take us forward and expertise? Uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with people who say, oh, we should be like Tottenham and Chelsea and have you know Liverpool, but we're nowhere near that in terms of commercial uh, income. We've shown signs of improving there and the scope for further improvement. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I suppose what I'm saying is, and it goes back to your question about the, the, the stadium, Phil, is there's a more clearer view of where we're going over the next four or five years now than what we were where we were going in 2016, which I think is the sign of sign of progress and lessons learned. And um, I mean, within all that, so one thing you've got to do, get your managerial appointment right. That doesn't have to solve problems yeah. at a football club. So mixed, but certainly uh, all I hope for the future. Someone up. Sam, similar question to you, mate. You know, five years of Farhad, um, ever eventful. How do you think it's gone for him? Yeah, same as same as Gav. He has obviously made mistakes, but I think the one thing that I can never knock him for is that I still think everything he's done was obviously done with the best of intentions, and I'm never going to knock anyone who's walked into into our football club and immediately paid off all our debts and been such a driving force for a new stadium. And you know, some of the football decisions he definitely did get wrong, but I don't know. It's just a difficult one at the end of the day. If where else would we be? Who who I think we could have done a lot worse with the person who, who took over Everton at, at that time or you know earlier or some point after Machidi if, if Machidi wouldn't have happened. So I think now we finally reached the spot where obviously I think Farhad would have wanted to have been here maybe by what, 2018, 2019, something like that, and maybe not 2021. Maybe I don't think when he first took over he would have seen himself Appointing all the managers he had, and you know Steve Walsh, and getting rid of him as well, and bringing in Marcel Brands. But I think we finally got to a, a place now where we've got the right manager. I think we've got the right director of football. We've got the new stadium on the way, and I don't think right now there's much more Farhad Mashidi can do. You know he's repeatedly backed the club. You know even when it's been quite clear from our accounts that we haven't been making money, he's invested even more to try and get. Everton and the supporters to the place where they want to be. So I think, you know, there's, there's diehard Evertonians out there and who, you know, qualifying for Europe this year would obviously, you know, in such a difficult year as well would, would mean the world to them. But I don't think there'd be many happier pe- people out there than Farhad Mashiri if we could get into the at least the Europa League because uh, he has invested so much and I definitely think he deserves it. So hopefully the, 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 the team can do it, you know, partly for him and and for the investment that he's gave. And, and then as Gav saying, that then all starts snowballing towards that new stadium, which is ultimately the, the end goal for where we need to be taking European football to for, for the date we move into Bramley Moor. Penna, you've, you, you've spent a little bit of time in Fahad's company. I mean, the feeling I get from everything we know and from what people tell us is that he cares passionately about Everton and, and he's desperate to bring success to, to the football club. Yeah, and, you know, while the lads quite rightly say he has made mistakes uh, during his tenure, I think those mistakes are being rectified pretty quickly. Uh, he is quite a decisive uh, individual and he's learned from them. You know, so hopefully th- those mistakes won't be repeated in the future. Um, I mean, the big 
game changer for me, as I said right at the outset, is the Bramley Mall, you know, so Dock Stadium wouldn't be happening if he hadn't walked through the door. Um, and that is like going to be such a transformative moment uh, for the football club going forward. So that's like a huge tick in the in the positives box. Carlo Ancelotti was his most inspired, you know, so decision bar none. And, uh, you know, so that's going in the right direction. And, you know, even like the, the acquisitions, I know our transfer uh, recruitment policy has been haphazard at times uh, during Farhad Mashiri's uh, sort of tenure. Again, they've learned from that and there's like a policy being put in place now that they've veered from occasionally, but they are following financial fair play guidelines. They're not going to get the club into a situation where it's threatened or where it's in danger. And Farhad himself has said that whilst he has pumped phenomenal amounts of money into the football club, he still wants the football club to be you know, self-sustaining. He wants to be a football club that you know, doesn't have to rely on him uh, for handouts you know, every 12 months. So, you know, the, the, taking steps to rectify that as well. So, a qualified success, you know, 100%. I mean, it's, uh, it's been five years of incredible change at the football club. The vast majority of it has been for the better. So, yeah, I would have to say a qualified success those five years, definitely. Mm, very much a change football club in many areas, isn't it, in those, in those five years? And uh, let's hope the next five bring even more change for the positive. OK, before we finish, it is predictions time. Gav, I'll start with you today. Uh, Monday, 8 o'clock at Goodison, Everton versus Southampton. What's going to happen? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I did I go with Everton winning 1-0 last week. I can't remember. I remember being gutted when we got that penalty near the end. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, typical. There's always, you know, even 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 when we're doing my landfill, there's always a dark area for me, you know. Uh, no, seriously, I... I, I you get the impression around the club this week. Me and spoke about we have Lucas Dean's five-year contract. Lots of good stuff going on. Um, momentum is a big thing. We won at Anfield. Maybe a couple more players back. Certainly, well, improved fitness. Got to win, haven't we? We've got to win. I like. I really like uh, Hassan Hussle. His name I can never say properly if not said, said it like that. I think he's a cracking coach. Uh, but I suspect we may just have a little bit more more in our army than them on, on Monday. So, yeah, 2-0 for me. Uh, I'm not doing normal bottle one-all job there. I'm feeling <laughs> confident. Good good stuff. Uh, Sam? It's too hard to call anymore, isn't it? But I'll, I'll go for the 3 nice and uh, Nice and steady. Yeah. Any 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 further detail you want to part, part wisdom with the, for the listeners who might be fancying a flutter? Any goal scorers that you're thinking of or...? Got a, feel, got a feel on Hammers, you know. Hammers first goal, Everton 3-0. It's got to be Dean, hasn't it? On the, in the week he signed a new oh. deal, surely. Well, Dean last goal. Dean last yeah. goal, a little extravaganza. Brenner, <laughs> <laughs> what's your prediction? Well, as I said earlier, the mongrel complex is being swept away from Goodison Park now. <laughs> so, as, as borne out by our predictions, I'm going to go for a 3-0 home victory. And Richarlison, with a couple of those goals, a Richarlison who's back, according to Carlo, uh, absolutely flying again. So, yes, uh, strongly favour him to score at least one of those goals, probably two on Monday night. How is yeah. that positive? Yeah, very good. I think we'll win. I, I agree with Gav. 2-0. I think we'll get it done. And, uh, yeah, I think, it, you know, it, feel, it feels like a, a, a better time to be playing Southampton, doesn't it, with their run of form and their injuries. So, uh, an opportune moment to uh, 
correct our home form. Chaps, great stuff. Uh, we could have talked for hours, couldn't we? Loads going on this week. Thank you very much for your company. And thank you very much for listening. Adam Jones and I will be at Goodison on Monday night, of course. Um, keep uh, keep with us across the weekend, of course, we're all preview stuff. And there's some, some interesting lines coming out from Carlo Sunday night into Monday morning. So uh, keep an eye on them. Uh, this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.